0: Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. We have lots to discuss, so let's dive right in. The Senate has passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which if you've been listening to the show or watching the show consistently over the last couple of weeks, you know I've been very excited about this piece of legislation and following it very closely. It's going to do a lot of really good things, and we're going to talk about that in just a second here. But first, I'll just say up front, I recognize and feel and resonate with the fact that this is not enough. It's not close to what would match this moment, both in regard to the climate crisis and also economic uh, factors that we should be addressing all of those things. We should be doing more to help Americans. And I recognize that. I feel it. And um, we'll we'll continue to advocate for that. But understanding the current situation in Washington, we have Joe Manchin, extremely conservative uh, to be in the Democratic Party. We have Kirsten Sinema, who's an obstructionist on uh, many issues. And so understanding those two big factors and all of the kind of messed up stuff that we are aware of within Washington uh, in kind of what hinders their ability to effectively represent us. It's pretty amazing that they're going to pass something or that they pass something in the Senate and then it'll move on to the house and hopefully get signed into law by Joe Biden. It's pretty amazing. And I think it's something to celebrate. I think if you want to stay sane, following American politics, you have to take the wins whenever we get them. You have to celebrate whenever we get a success like this. And so that's what, that's the position I'm taking. I'm really excited. I'm happy that the Senate has passed the Inflation Reduction Act, even though I totally recognize it's not enough, um, but it's more than I thought we we're going to get. I should put it that way. At the beginning of Biden's administration, I should say I thought we we're going to get a good bit based on what he proposed the original bill back better. Uh, proposal was really, really significant. And uh, so comparing this to that, uh, dang it, but comparing this to what at this moment I thought we were going to get, which was nothing, is super exciting. And it is significant and it is historic in many ways. So what does it do? It's called the Inflation Reduction Act. So it does work uh, a little bit to address inflation by paying down the deficit, taking some of the demand out of the economy. Um, and I think that's a good move. Quickly, I'll note that of course, since this is Joe Manchin's uh, compromise bill, he did get a little bit of goodies in there for the oil and gas industry. So there's some kind of leases that are going to be handed out because uh, Joe Manchin wanted that in there. But OK, if we had to give that out to satisfy him to get the bill passed, I'm all right with that. But then there's a lot of climate change pro- uh, provisions as well as ways of uh, helping Americans in regard to lowering prescription drug costs expanding health insurance and then uh, as I mentioned directly giving people tax credits to buy electric vehicles and investing in trying to lower energy costs all those good things so uh, reading a little bit about this on the topic of lessening drug prescription costs quote proposed legislation would cap your out-of-pocket spending at two thousand dollars and limit drug prices uh, drug price increases for Medicare and private insurance for reference in 2022, the catastrophic threshold that Medicare recipients must pay out of pocket before getting most of the prescription costs covered is $7,050. Wow. So $2,000 is now going to be the cap. Uh, making more affordable healthcare coverage uh, by ex- extending the Affordable Care Act. Uh, insurance coverage to people because it was set to expire medical insurance premiums under the, uh, the affordable care act are set to expire at the end of 2022 the u.s department of health and human services says that these subsidies allowed 4.5 million people to sign up for health insurance coverage and according to a statement from the office of the president the inflation reduction act would lock in health care premiums to save an average of 800 annually for 13 million people so uh helping people in the area of health insurance under the Affordable Care Act. Tax rebates and credits, and this is uh, falling under the climate change provisions for energy and climate change. The proposed legislation includes energy security and climate change investments that would lower energy costs, increase clean energy production, and reduce carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2030. 40% cutting uh, greenhouse gases, carbon emissions. Really, really exciting. This provision will also offer tax rebates and credits for households to lower their energy costs and incentive, uh, incentivize taxpayers to help reach clean energy and carbon emission reduction goals. So um, within the climate change or climate response uh, provisions, there is the federal tax credit of $7,500 for people who are purchasing electric vehicles. That's really good because I think a lot of people want to purchase an electric vehicle. You can save money on gas. Um, Obviously, it's the way of the future in regard to green energy, but it is more expensive on average to buy an electric vehicle than a gas-powered vehicle. And so by including in this bill a tax credit of $7,500 to people who purchase an electric vehicle and then $4,000 If you purchase a used electric vehicle. So for new ones, $7,500 or a used ones, $4,000. That can make a significant dent in the upfront cost of purchasing a uh, an electric vehicle and encourage more people to do so and then of course if you have that on top of understanding the savings you get and not having to pay for gas it can make it a very very appealing option to more people so exciting stuff i think inflation's on everyone's mind so the fact that first of all it's title that but then also it is trying to uh pay down the deficit to take some of the um demand out of the economy okay good job taxing the people at the top a little bit more uh to do so Awesome, you're investing in climate change response actions uh one of the things i left out but had read up on was there's also investments in giving huge funds to companies corporations for investing in green energy uh solar wind etc so that that's kind of the the way that the industries move which is absolutely what we should be doing i've said as many have for a very long time that eventually we will get to fully green energy we will get to a place where all these industries just under the capitalistic uh, market get there but they're not going fast enough and so that's when a government is effective to step in and nudge those industries in that direction through either incentives or particular regulations and then on the consumer putting in place incentives so that they uh buy electric vehicles and then um investing in lowering energy costs and investing in lowering uh carbon emissions. And the expectation is all of the provisions in the Bill Combined will lower emissions by 40 percent carbon emissions by 40 percent in the next decade which is very significant and very exciting so i'm sure those things it's a massive bill that i left out but those are some big prominent parts i do think super super popular allowing medicare to negotiate uh drug prices and so uh as we looked in that first provision it's going to decrease the cost of prescription drugs for americans which is absolutely necessary they've gotten completely outrageous so overall Really good bill. I'm really excited about it. Again, it does not do what Build Back Better would have done as it was originally proposed. It doesn't do what I think this moment calls for, but it does do a lot. And the fact that we got someone like Joe Manchin on board with that is really exciting. And I think people are going to notice the effects of this bill. And I will just add on, on the end of this uh, segment that it passed the Senate. And the reason why I'm kind of just already sending off the fireworks is because that was the big obstacle. The House is going to be able to pass it. There's a larger Democratic majority in the House, and they have an easier time passing legislation like this. And then Biden, it's already something he's committed to signing into law. So the Senate was what we had to get it through. I have no doubt it'll get through the House and then be signed into law by Biden. Hasn't been done yet, so we'll have a little bit more of a, a moment when that happens, but um, it got through the hardest part. I have a story out of New Mexico that is just enraging, uh, scary, and deeply, deeply saddening. So uh, it looks like a fourth Muslim man was killed in a line of what they're suspecting is targeted killings towards Muslim individuals just in one city. They're just in this one area, a fourth person has now been killed that they suspect is a part of someone who's killing multiple uh, Muslims for the reason of them being that particular religion, and that's just absolutely heartbreaking. So let's read a little bit about it from Reuters. Police in New Mexico and federal agencies were probing the murders of four Muslim men to determine if the killings, the latest of which happened on Friday evening, were linked while the state's governor described them as targeted killings. Albuquer- Albuquerque Police Chief Harold Medina told reporters on Saturday that a young man who was a part of the Muslim community was murdered. The victim's name and the circumstances of the murder were not disclosed. In the previous three cases, the victims were ambushed and shot without warning. Medina said the killing was possibly linked to the previous three murders. Police in New Mexico had said earlier that the other three Muslim men murdered in the state's largest city in the past nine months appeared to have been targeted for their religion and and race. The targeted killings of Muslim residents of Albuquerque is deeply angering and wholly intolerable New Mexico Governor Michelle Luan Grisham tweeted late on Saturday. She also said she was deploying extra state police officers to Albuquerque to assist in the investigation. Two of those murdered men were members of the same mosque who were shot dead in Albuquerque in late July and early August. Police said that there was a strong possibility their deaths were connected to the November killing of an Afghan immigrant. So there's not you know that much political analysis to do here obviously but it it really caught my eye when i was just kind of going through the news of the day and landed on my heart in such a way that i wanted to do a story about it um mainly to say mainly to send respect and love to the people involved um i just don't i would have a hard time completely ignoring on my show a story of four muslim people who likely are being targeted for being Muslim, being killed in Albuquerque, one city. Imagine living in Albuquerque and you're Muslim and you're thinking, I mean, I could be... That's just so frightening. Um And so I wanted to, number one, of course say that we're sending our love and our feelings to anyone who knew these individuals, obviously heartbreaking, uh, family, friends, that doesn't do much to, doesn't do anything to assist in their pain, but um, I do think it's something I want to say. And then also, just how deeply enraging is this? I know that in a country as large as ours, terrible things are going to happen and not necessarily always larger points to be made, uh, but it feels like we have to there's still so much to be done when you see a story like this that we have to uproot completely and put an end to the the deep hatred that some people have in their heart um towards people who look different, who have different religious beliefs, who whatever, are just are different in some way and, and people harbor so much hate in their heart to the point where they're murdering them. And of course of course, this guy, he's deranged, he's or woman, well, I guess they probably haven't figured it out, but this individual is likely or definitely completely unhinged and detached from reality and all those things. So this isn't an indictment on any particular group of people, um, or any particular ideology. It's just this, this fact that we still have work to do. We still have to deeply and impactfully get rid of the, the ideas and the concepts in our society that lead people to doing such horrible things. Um, and I think generally the belief that someone is less than you based on the, relig- the religious beliefs or the race or whatever it is needs to be completely kind of uh, uh, banished from our society um, because we do see this. We see hate crimes like this. And again, it's not completely verified. It's not that uh, these are connected, but that's what they're suspecting. That's what they're investigating. Um, and it looks like based on the... Trell of evidence they currently have that that's the case and what what's more vile and and horrible than people just trying to live their life two of the individuals were part of the same mosque getting killed for absolutely no reason just their identity that's it uh truly nothing worse or more uh disgusting or heartbreaking than that and so again not a bunch of political analysis to do here but i just wanted to cover this story to say this so heartbreaking thought goes out our thoughts go out to the people of Albuquerque and the people who knew these individuals. And um, it, it, it motivates me to keep pushing to try to have a more gracious, a more loving society because we can't have individuals scared to walk around because they're of a certain religious belief or a certain race or whatever it is. We just can't have that. Um, let's go ahead and jump into our next story. Something a little more lighthearted. <laughs> Dana Bash on State of the Union asked Lindsey Graham a question about his previous statements in regard to Donald Trump and January 6 and J- Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the election and the way that he is outward facing now. And to be clear, the specific wording that Lindsey Graham used in the clip that Dana Bash shows to Lindsey Graham as he's sitting here today to say, like, are you being hypocritical or do you still stand by this? The actual wording you could say isn't necessarily Lindsey Graham completely condemning Donald Trump as an individual or the actions he took. It's specifically him Setting himself aside from the rioters and the, uh, the particular belief that Trump had that senators shouldn't be certifying the election. But I think it's pretty clear on that day that Lindsey Graham had this sentiment that Donald Trump was deeply in the wrong. And this was kind of an unforgivable moment. And now that's not at all the way that he, he feels, but this is not just to let's call out hypocrisy angle, because again, I think you have plausible deniability in this situation. If you're Lindsey Graham, specifically about being consistent on this issue, he's definitely not very principled in many ways uh, in many other areas. But this clip, I think, has a number of different moments that yield interesting points I want to make. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look.
1: Uh, just each of you about, when you talk about each of your political parties, look forward to 2024 uh senator graham you said that you want donald trump to run again in 2024 i want to play for our viewers what happened the late in the night on january 6 on the senate floor
2: trump and i we've had a hell of a journey i hate it end this way oh my god i hate it from my point of view he's been a consequential president but today first thing you'll see all i can say is uh count me out enough is enough
1: so why now do you think trump has the character to be president again
2: well i think he was a consequential president if you compare his policies to what's going on today i think he's got a hell of a story to say that speech was about i'm going to certify
0: so again he's about to say that that was about certification not necessarily about Donald trump as a whole uh, if, i don't think that's true but obviously you can't know it's in somebody's heart. Um, what does matter to me is what's coming up where he admits he doesn't believe the election was stolen. And then if you believe that and you're willing to admit that and then go on to defend Trump to say that he could run, he should run. Um, it's really, really weird to me. And it's deeply unprincipled. And it makes me pretty mad because you're recognizing that that election was secure and that election was uh, rightful. And the results of it were and then going on to support someone who is actively trying to uh, undermine our democratic processes and leading to terrible outcomes in the process. So uh, let's go ahead and take a look at kind of a few more moments and then we'll discuss further. Uh, the election. Here's
2: some things I don't believe. I don't believe the Taliban when they say they didn't know Zahiri was in Kabul. Uh, I don't believe Merorkas when he says the border's secure. I don't believe the election was stolen and I don't believe this new bill is going to lower inflation. That's where I'm at.
1: You don't believe the election was stolen. Do you want Donald Trump, if he is looking ahead to 2024, to stop saying that?
2: I think we should look at in- election integrity measures to make sure some problems don't happen again. But if he runs for president, talk.
0: OK, we'll give him a little bit more time to answer in a second here. But again. Okay. So you just said you don't believe the election was stolen. And he's about to say, I think Trump should stop talking about it. That's not enough. You can't just say, I think strategically it's bad idea for Trump to talk about how the election was stolen. We should look forward and compare Trump to Biden's record. No, you're, you're admitting that the guy that you're supporting is against our democracy. You can't willy nilly as the most powerful person in the country, whenever he was president, undermine our democracy. That does lasting damage. And quickly, before we continue with this clip, an example of this is Donald Trump laid out the playbook during 2020 about what it looks like to deny rightful election results when you lose but you don't want to concede you don't want to give up power and now people who are trump supporters who are election deniers are following that playbook Carrie lake in arizona running for governor she uh just got nominated in the republican party she did the same thing as trump she before the election happened was like i think we're seeing some some fraud without any evidence so that she could say hey if it turns out that i uh lose it's gonna to be because the election was stolen. But they're trying to steal it. If I win, it's just because we got so many votes, they couldn't steal it. So then either way, you're going to win or you're going to win. There's no other option. And so Kerry Lake's a great example of this ripple effect that Donald Trump caused, where all of these individuals, and there's countless others already just in the lead up to the 2022 midterms in the primaries where people who are big MAGA individuals are going around in their election and saying if I lose it's probably because it was stolen and that is what undermines our democracy to an extent where you really have lasting damage and you might not be able to overcome it and after enough election cycles you've deteriorated your democracy where it won't function properly and so you can't see that and you can't observe those facts as someone like Lindsey Graham and go, listen, the election wasn't stolen, so uh, that's bad that he's saying that, but I still like him and whatever. No, you have to take a stand because we can argue about policies within our democracy and we can work that out. But the second that you deteriorate our democracy where it doesn't function, then it doesn't matter about our disagreements about anything. It doesn't matter about your hopes for the future of our country because we won't be able to do that through a good, healthy democracy. And that is what is so infuriating about the fact that individuals like, like Lindsey Graham. Sorry, this is a much longer rant than I was expecting. Um, people like Lindsey Graham and all of these other people, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who I know don't think the election was stolen, but won't stand up against Trump and won't stand up against this assault on our democracy. Okay, let's continue on.
2: Talking about 2020 is not what people want to hear. He likes hearing it, but people want to hear about how can you secure a broken border? How can you stop rampant crime? What can you do to get the economy back on its feet? And how can you make it safer again? Uh, how can you stop Putin from going further? What would you do with China? That's what people want to hear. And here's the good news for Republicans. Based on the performance of the Biden administration, we're in the game at okay. a level I never
0: dreamed of. So there we go. Uh, and then he goes on to make the case for Republicans. I think there's a case to be, if you're the Republican party, I do think it's in your interest to try to point at all the economic things that are going wrong and say that's Biden's fault. Now, y'all know based on my analysis of all of these different situations, a lot of the things that they would point at and blame Biden aren't actually Biden's, um, doing, but, if you're the Republican Party, you you sure as heck want to make it out to be uh, Biden's fault and you could run a good election doing that. But instead, so many of these Republicans are still spreading lies about the election. And I don't think someone like Lindsey Graham, as much as he wants to talk about what he perceives to be Biden's failures, can ignore that fact um, and still have some moral backbone because you can't move on to... All of the different policy discussions we want to have, uh, we can have them as well, but I'm saying you can't really move on to that before you've made a clear, strong position on do you want to stand stand up to protect our democracy? Because then if we don't have that... We don't have much else. Um, but as long as we have that operating and it's healthy and it's functional, then all of these different other conservative liberal debates can go on and we can let it play out in the democratic processes that we have. And that's the beautiful thing about democracy. But it's getting broken down and it's so infuriating uh, watching so many people who recognize that it is a lie, that that uh, the things that are being spread out there are not true, but yet they don't make in a profound way in, a, in an impactful way that clear to those who follow them. So Lindsey Graham is a great example of that. And I don't think we're going to see uh, that change anytime soon. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our last story of today's show. We have big stuff coming up tomorrow on the show. I went to the uh, CPAC speech that Trump gave and interviewed uh, supporters. And so that'll be uh, covered on the show tomorrow, letting it debut on David Pakman's show. So if you want to get it quicker obviously check out his uh, program, but then I'll cover it tomorrow as well. Okay, last story. Rick Scott appeared on Face the Nation and was asked, Rick Scott, you previously said that uh, we should elect officials that we would hire. We would hire to work for us. That's the type of people that we should be electing uh, to these positions of power who have the character and the skills and uh, the qualifications that we would want to hire them to work for us. And so then the host asks. All right, Rick Scott, here's an example or two examples of Republicans who have been nominated to run for Senate. Uh, would you hire them? Do you think that they're qualified to be someone that you would hire? And his answer is very slippery. He doesn't really want to get to the root of that question because he probably would admit in the privacy of his own home that he would never hire, uh, the two individuals that this host highlights. I will say before we jump in, our podcast listeners won't experience this, but For our viewers on YouTube and otherwise, I have a policy on The Luke Beasley Show where I don't make fun of people's appearances, so I'm not going to start violating that policy today. But without saying anything, Rick Scott gives me the heebie-jeebies, the literal, is there such a thing as literal heebie-jeebies? I don't know. The deep and profound heebie-jeebies. That is what Rick Scott gives me. Stop looking at me, Rick. Okay, continue.
3: (laughs) In a local radio interview in July, you talked a lot about your your business uh, as an executive, and you said we should start electing people that we would hire. In Georgia, Herschel Walker, Republican Senate candidate, uh, has lied about the number of children he has, uh, about his business dealings. His ex-wife said he held a gun to her head and said, I'm going to blow your effing brains out. In Arizona, the candidate Blake Masters called the Unabomber an underrated thinker. He said that Al-Qaeda doesn't actually pose substantial threat to Americans. I mean, I've got a list of candidates here who've had some and said some pretty troubling things. Would you hire these people to work for you?
1: Well, you'd go through each person and, but I'm not the one doing it. It's the voters of those states are doing it. The voters.
0: So this answer struck me as very similar to Joe Manchin's answer when he was asked, would you support the, or, or, or do you want the Democrats to win in the midterms? And, uh, Joe Manchin went, Oh, well, I can't make that decision for the Democratic voters. They can choose who they, w- or sorry, I can't make that decision for the voters. Uh, they'll have to make that decision themselves. And it's like, yeah, that, okay. Sure, that wasn't the question. Do you want the Democrats to win in the midterms? Well, I, pff, oh, who beats me? I mean, um, uh, and it's very similar here with Rick Scott. He's asked, would you hire? I'm asking about you, Rick. Would you hire? these people to work for you based on their kind of looney tune ideas and rick scott's answer is well i can't make that decision for the voters (laughs) they can make up the mind uh make up their minds on their own okay great i agree with you we're not saying are you going to make the decision of who wins these races we're saying we want to know if you will stand by your statement and say yeah I would hire Herschel Walker, even with all the things he's done and said. Um, But he avoids it completely, which I don't really know why. Maybe he doesn't want to be associated with them. Probably that's it. If I were a Republican, I guess you just kind of have to suck it up unless you want to speak out against them and just go, sure, yep, I would hire them. It's hilarious how he does everything to try to slip out of this.
1: So states are going to make a choice.
3: You're trying to help Senate Republicans and lead them to victory. These are your candidates.
1: So... You know, Margaret, you guys remember the, the voters in Arizona choose who they're gonna, they're gonna vote. And what they're gonna choose is they're gonna choose between Blake Master and Mark Kelly. Mar-
0: yeah, Rick, we know how voting works. We're asking your opinion and you're not giving it to us. Mark
1: Kelly has voted to keep the border open. He has never voted for border security. He's voted for the tax increases. He's voted for cutting Medicare. You know, he's, he's voted.
0: Did you hear how his Medicare kind of trailed off? I think it's cause he's the one, Rick Scott, who's pushed to uh, cut Medicare, Medicaid. Risk, Rick Scott was the one who proposed that every single major government program sunsets after five years, I think it was. So that means they would have to reauthorize through uh, voting for another like Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, whatever bill every five years, which you know with the current state of the Republican Party would put it in jeopardy each five years. There's a good amount of Republicans who I think would probably, in the name of cutting down the size of the government, not support uh, continue Medicare or social security. Maybe not because it's political suicide. Um, and obviously people very much like their Medicare and social security. Uh, but in sneaky ways for years and years and years, they've tried to cut uh, those programs. And so he came out and was uh, even Mitch McConnell had to say publicly, no, I don't agree with Rick Scott on this because Rick Scott was saying even social security, and Medicare should sunset every five years, um, which obviously would not be a good thing for the country. So it's funny how he tried to put that on Mark Kelly who's obviously a Democrat running for Senate, the incumbent right now, uh, Mark Kelly wants to cut Medicare. Really, Rick? Hmm.
1: With Chuck Schumer and with Joe Biden, basically 100% of the time. Warren except the same problem. This election is going to be about Joe Biden. Um, and so this election is going to be about all the bad things that have happened. This, the fact that we're going into recession, the fact that, you know, inflation's at 9%, the fact that gas prices are up, uh, $2, all these things. That's what people are looking at. They're, they're, but they're these at are these are saying, your Senate
3: Republican candidates. These are your candidates.
1: And the voters of each of these them? states. The voters of these states are going to decide if they're going to hire. Now I get to vote. I get to vote in, in uh, Florida, and that's how I think about it. But the voters in those states will choose in yeah. those states who they want. And it's a choice between two people. But there, look, the all the mm-hmm. all the Democrat <laughs> nominees are, are are basically Biden clones. Yeah. I mean, you know, and by the way, they won't. But, if, with but Biden. if you are, none I mean, you would acknowledge room, you would acknowledge that Biden if somebody <laughs> went
3: in Biden, for an interview Margaret, for a private corporation, these things Biden, would come up no as Biden. red flags to HR.
1: So it's just Biden is not campaigning with anybody because he is he is he's toxic. That's how the voters think. That's why they say 72 percent.
0: of Again, if you're a Republican, this is a good talking point, but completely avoiding the question it's just so fascinating i I feel like politicians should find new ways to avoid questions because the the way that he just did there was so stereotypical was straight out of a movie of a politician trying not to answer something that i feel like it comes off as so dishonest even though obviously if you're republican you're going to want to you know bring the narrative each time over to criticizing Biden, which is i'm not even you know that's not even bad really if you're in the opposite party of course you're going to want to criticize the president in power who's of the opposite party Um, and that's your right and that's why we have the system that we do but try to do it in a way that doesn't come off as so obviously slimy but i do want to make a point because as we see in so many of these clips um, and again i understand why the kind of it's biden's fault that inflation's happening talking point keeps getting brought up and i just want to say i'm not Avoiding that, someone said recently, like, you only do stories about something, something. I really don't. First of all, if you notice that all my stories are centered around, like, a clip of some individual that's prominent, that's because that's all people will click on. That's all people will be interested in. But then I make points about all the important issues around it. So right now we're talking about Rick Scott. So his little face is going to be in the thumbnail. But then around it, we're going to talk about inflation. We're going to talk about gas prices. We're going to talk about, uh, Medicare, Medicaid fraud that he did. Uh, we're going to talk about the, scary and bad candidates that are running these races so even liberals have said before like oh so many of your videos are about something i forget the specific critique that happened recently and it's like listen if i just do a story about one particular issue that has nothing to do with any of the kind of viral videos that are going on or whatever no there's gonna be zero interest in it but i can make very Nuanced and interesting and important points around a video that's gone viral. So that video has gone, I mean, semi viral, not really. Um, just got some attention over the weekend. And so then I can show you that and make important points around it. So that's kind of just so you know, if you're someone who is very critical of my format, that's why I want to do something that'll catch people's eye by, uh, covering someone else. So Rick Scott said this, and then within it, I can make my own points that I want to make. Um, anyways, uh, so I was going to say that inflation guys, you have to understand under even Trump, which I'm not blaming him for this, but when the, the economy crashed because of COVID, they pumped trillions into the economy, trillions of dollars while Trump was president, while Trump was president. Okay trillion. And so after that, it takes a while. Economic factors aren't instant. You're going to see the effect of that. You add on top because it became a talking point that inflation was going to happen. We've seen very, very documented and historic price gouging. And so you add those two factors together. And then on top of that, because COVID threw off our supply chains completely and getting back uh sorted out all of these complex supply chains that we have, it just takes a while and it really did get really messy up. Uh you add all those three factors together. Yes, you're going to have inflation and yes, it hurts. But you have to understand when is it something I can blame the person in power for and when is it not? Now, I think you can blame Biden for not like responding as perfectly as possible. I bet there's something I'm not super aware of it, but I bet there's something he could have done above and beyond that would have helped to ameliorate inflation earlier i do i'm sure uh there's a lot the government can do that would have taken the support of people in the house and the senate and it would have been um very very kind of you know difficult based on our current political landscape but i think you could say biden should have done more i don't think you can say biden is to blame for inflation we're seeing it worldwide you have to logically think about the fact and look at all of the economists analysis of this that yes whenever you're trying to get out of a economic crash which much of this happened under trump and you're investing all this money into the economy dumping monies in the stock market all of these things um and then you come out of it our supply chains are whacked out so having a hard time. Uh, getting the proper supply out into the uh, economy. And then companies are price gouging at record levels. And then with uh, oil and gas specifically because of the r- Russia-Ukraine war, even more increase on those prices. Yes, we're going to have inflation. Yes, gas prices are going to be high. And it's so painful and we have to address it. And I understand why it's an issue. And I totally get the inclination. You look at the person in power and you blame them for what's going on. And I think that's totally fair. I just want people to understand why I take a pretty clear stance against saying this is all the Democrats fault and that's why I really think we should reelect them in the midterms and I think uh in 2024 as well because good policies that they're pushing for, some of them. Um, like we saw, the Inflation Reduction Act is going to make the lives of Americans better, and uh, that's what we want to see. And because these bad economic factors are happening, we can't give up all of that, because the economic factors are not caused by the Democrats being in power. And sometimes it is blaming the person who's power, sometimes it's not. You just got to look at the uh, specifics of the situation. And so again, I don't blame people. I'm not saying anyone's dumb for thinking it's Biden's fault. You're you're going to look at the president and think i'm going to blame him because right now my gas pump is saying crazy stuff um or i'm going to blame him because i can't purchase groceries and i totally get that inclination but you do have to understand the bulk of the money was spent while we were in the heat of the pandemic, which you know when that was, and tons of money was dumped into the economy, and um, the Fed was pumping trillions into the economy. That was under Trump, again, I'm saying, and then also Biden passed the American Rescue Plan. But um, you do have to be honest with the facts of the situation. So if you're left, right, or center, I think you should do a good job of doing that so that we can understand who would be better to keep in power or put in power um, and it's not always the best option to just flip to the other side if things aren't going good now because it may not be the person who's in power who's to blame and maybe they would be the best people to govern even though the democrats have tons of problems obviously and i'm very upfront with that so anyways long run, as you can see to the people who have said oh you cover right wingers too much or something i like to cover the story as it's up and then put within it the important points I want to make, the detailed analysis of the uh, really, really, you know, core important things that we should focus on. So all that to be, all that said, um, I think Rick Scott was a little slimy. And I did want to mention at the end of this, the reason why I really don't like Rick Scott is he Participated or he, um, did one of the largest Medicare, Medicaid frauds in history. So we'll just quickly get to that. I know this segment's going way longer than I expected, but, um, I had a lot of points that kind of popped up, but this is really important. So if you ever see Rick Scott again, to be aware of this, um, he defrauded the taxpayer because he sucked money out of Medicare and Medicaid, um, while he was in the, uh, in private industry. So while he was working in business, he, did something that was ruled to be, you know, illegal. He had to pay a bunch of money. So Scott's healthcare and Medicare fraud situation is coming back to haunt him. In 1987, Scott started Columbia, which was a hospital company. As the years passed, Scott added hospitals, centers for surgery, and other health locations to the HCA network. In 1997, an investigation was launched after records were seized that were indicative of Medicare and Medicaid fraud. Scott uh, resigned shortly after the investigation started, but he couldn't escape it altogether. Prior to his resignation, several warrants were issued that granted the federal government permission to search hospitals that were owned by Columbia HCA. The warrants also included hospitals previously owned by the company. As part of his resignation, Scott received $300 million in stock, $10 million in cash, and $5 million, which was quite the severance pay. People get paid so much whenever they fail. Okay. Um, he said it was a situation where now this company is getting investigated for Medicare and Medicaid fraud and he's getting a massive uh, golden parachute. I don't know if it's literally that, but, you know, massive money to leave. According to PolitiFact, the investigation revealed a slew of offenses. It was found that Columbia HDA built services such as Medicare, Medicaid, and Tricare for tests. The physicians hadn't ordered Scott's company also trumped uh, diagnoses, diagnoses with fake ones to increase the hospital's reimbursement. Jeez. They illegally claimed that advertising expenses were community education. The company also billed the government on behalf of non-qualifying patients for healthcare visits at home. According to the Department of Justice, Columbia HCA was ordered to pay $840 million in fines. They were ordered to pay $840 million in fines for the fraud that Rick Scott was on the forefront of in fines and penalties for its deceit. Healthcare providers and professionals hold a public trust, and when the trust is violated by fraud and abuse of program funds and by the payment of kickbacks to the physicians, healthcare for all Americans suffers uh stated it, robert mccallum assistant attorney general so massive fraud which again whenever you defraud medicare and medicaid that's defrauding the taxpayer because obviously we fund those programs so rick scott not someone i like very much and we got through a lot in covering that story Alrighty, that is our show today thank you so much for watching i will see you tomorrow